somebody ought to lift your voice and get your breakthrough in the building right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, there's chain-breaking power in the building. I said there's chain-breaking power in the building right now. Lift up your hands, lift up your voice, and somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We, we break through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one more time and give him a praise in this place. My, 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 what a powerful presence of the Holy Ghost is in this building this morning. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2023. You're officially in the year of blessing this morning. Whoa. Turn around and high-five about eight people on the way to your seat and tell them, I'm blessed. You got to shout it at them. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. If they looked at you like you're crazy, don't you dare sit next to them this morning. Don't let them mess you up. Grab your Bible and find somebody else. Look at them and shout, I'm blessed. If they shout it back at you, give them high five and tell them, let's have church. Whoa! My, my, my. This service has already been marked by the Holy Ghost this morning. Are you thankful to be in his presence today? Amen. You can be seated. I want to take just a brief moment this morning to give a great big welcome to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us. We've got a house full of guests this morning. Rock Church, would you help me make some noise? I need to borrow your hands and your loud voices and help me make welcome every one of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us this morning. Amen. We want to let you know what a privilege and an honor it is to have you here in the house of the Lord with us today. And if you're here for the very first time at the Rock Church, you should have received a a VIP invitation card. And this is an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. Everybody knows that VIP stands for very important person. And we want you to know that you're a very important person to us today. Amen. Amen. And we've got some light refreshments and a small gift that we'd love to give you just as a token of appreciation uh, that you would join us in service today. One more time, would you put your hands together and welcome all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord today. Amen. How many of you were blessed by what God did in the building last night? Come on, was anybody in the Holy Ghost party last night? Amen. If you were not here last night, first of all, you missed out. The Holy Ghost was here in such a powerful way. The building was packed. 
We had an absolute Holy Ghost party. The presence of the Lord invaded us last night. And uh, we marched out of this building under the proclamation of God's blessing. Amen. And uh, so if you were not here, I encourage you to go back and uh, jump on YouTube and, and uh, listen to what God had to say for this house last night. Amen, somebody. Amen. Are, are the Brazelmans here tonight, this morning? Brother Antoine, and are they here? Okay, all right. I'm getting old. My glasses are foggy. You got to pardon me. Uh, some of y'all may have not met them yet, but uh, the Brazelman family, this is Sister Noriel's mom and dad. And uh, they've been coming off and on for quite some time. They've been here recently, and uh, they're no strangers to us. But today is their 40th wedding anniversary. And they're in the house of the Lord on New Year's Day during their wedding anniversary. I think we ought to stand and give them a great ovation this morning. We salute you for 40 years. Amen. Amen. And uh, in today's day and age, that's something to be excited about. That's a testimony of what God can do in your life. Amen, somebody. And uh, so, so happy anniversary to them. And uh, I, I want to hasten to the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to do my best to be as expeditious as possible. But I want to obey the Holy Ghost this morning. And uh, I'm just going to tell you as we approached this weekend and uh, I was seeking after the Lord for his will concerning this service, I could not escape what I feel to deliver to you this morning. And uh, there are times that God just uh, in a very profound way confirms his word. And so is it all right if I just follow the Holy Ghost this morning and obey God today? Stand with me if you would all over the house. It is our custom to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And uh, we're going to be going to the book of John chapter number eight. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that uh, this morning is our only service today. This will be our only service today. Normally, we have two services every Sunday, 11 o'clock and 6.30 p.m. Uh, but due to last night's celebration and the holiday today, this will be our only service today. We pray that you have an opportunity to enjoy time with your loved ones. And uh, book of John, chapter number eight, verse number one is where I want you to read the word of the Lord with me today. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us 
that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And for a few moments this morning, I want to preach. This isn't the end. It's just the beginning. The enemy's been telling somebody in the building uh, that it's over with. Uh, but God sent me to declare unto you this morning uh, that it's not the end. Uh, it's just uh, the beginning. Uh, somebody ought to put your Bibles down and one more time put your hands together uh, and give God a praise uh, for his word today. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving all across this sanctuary right now. Somebody give him some praise in this house. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Years ago, I took my family to the small town where my mother is from. My boys were quite a bit younger and I wanted to show them where their grandparents, their great-grandparents, whom they never had a chance to meet, lived, and where their grandmother grew up, and some of the places that I lived as a young boy. I wanted to try to impart to them some of our family history. And so using the town as a backdrop, to my storyline, I tried to recount to my boys the stories behind their great-grandparents and their grandmother and some of my very early childhood. And I was trying to give them some context of what brought our family to the place that it is today. And ultimately, I was trying to impart to them some of their very own story. And so we began to visit the 
the houses that everybody lived in and the schools that they went to. And we stopped by the little old building that used to be the church that my grandfather pastored. And we went by the hills where I played as a young boy and numerous other landmarks of significance. And as part of the journey that day, we stopped at the local cemetery where both great-grandparents had been laid to rest alongside of each other as well as their great-great-grandfather and grandmother and numerous other family members from our history. And I had not been there to that cemetery since I was a young teenager. And I couldn't remember exactly where all of the resting places were in the cemetery. And so as I walked around the cemetery that day, my mind and my heart was flooded with the memories of my life's story. And it occurred to me for just a moment that lying there in that cemetery that day were people with stories. Every headstone in that cemetery, every memorial in that place was the representation of a story. And on every one of those headstones was the date of the beginning of their story. A dash that marked the continuum of their story and a date that marked the end of their story. And as I came upon the memorial marking the resting place of both of my grandparents, I saw the dates marking their birth and their death. My grandfather's story began in 1911 and ended in 1996. He would be 111 years old if he was still alive today. My grandmother's story began in 1920 and it ended in 1994. She would be 101 years old if she were still alive today. And as I looked at that little dash in between both of the dates, uh, the date of their birth and the date of their passing, I realized very quickly that their story was actually a part of my own story. And I could tell both of my sons the stories about those two dashes on my grandparents' monument that day. I could tell my children about their great-grandpa and their great-grandmother, and I could relate to them some of our history. But what about all of the other stories that were represented in the cemetery that day? What were the stories of those people? How did their story begin? What were the events of their life? And maybe even more pondering, how did their story end? 
for a very brief time as a young man in between jobs, I had the opportunity to work for a funeral home. And as I worked there for that brief time, every day I was introduced to the end of people's stories. As family members came in to make arrangements for funerals and burials and cremations, I was made privy to the stories of people that had met the end of their journey. And for some people, it was just the natural cessation of life. People who had lived many years and died of natural causes. For others, they died because of particular ailments that they struggled with in their life. But for many, Brother Collins, there were some whose stories had tragic endings. Endings that were the consequence of choices that were made along life's journey. I was introduced to the end of stories that because of scenarios and situations and life events and problems and challenges there were those whose lives and their stories came to an ending with a premature ending story. I remember as a young boy, there were these storybooks called Choose Your Own Adventure stories. Anybody old enough to remember those stories? I got 10 people in the building. Some of you may not be familiar with them, but there was a day when these kind of stories became very popular. And there was a unique attraction to them because the author would write the story. And at some point in the story, he would put the reader in first position of the story. You would become the character of the story. And as the story would progress, you had a responsibility at particular intervals in the story to make decisions and choices concerning the characters. Would they go left or would they go right? Would they make this decision or would they make that decision? And depending on the choice that you made, the author would have you turn to a certain page in the story and the storyline would continue. And if you chose the wrong choice, if you made the wrong decision, oftentimes the story would end prematurely or the character of the book would meet a particular premature fate. But what made these stories so popular is that you could then at the end of the story you could go back in the book where you made the choice and you could make a different choice that would lead you down a different path and a different storyline and the story would turn out completely different they were called choose your own adventure stories in our text this morning 
we are introduced to a nameless woman who most theologians believe was Mary Magdalene. The Bible does not confirm that for us. But what the Bible does tell us is this is a woman who had made some poor choices. This is a woman whom the Bible introduces us by saying that she was caught in the very act of adultery. This is a woman whom the Bible says had been captured by the Pharisees, by law enforcement. They had caught her in the very act. I don't know how long they had been waiting to catch her. I don't know how many traps they had set. But finally, this woman who had a reputation had been caught in the very act. And the Bible says that the law of that day stated uh, that if you were caught in adultery uh, that you were to be stoned uh, to death. Uh, to be caught in the act of adultery uh, meant it was the end uh, of your uh, life. It meant uh, that you had made your final uh, poor decision uh, and that you would now meet uh, an untimely uh, death. I got to thinking about this young lady. You know, I don't know what her history is, but nobody has a child and plans for them to have their life in this way. Nobody, you know, at one time, she was somebody's baby girl. At one time, she was somebody's precious little child. Can I borrow Ian for just a moment? He's a little boy. He's not a little girl. A little hurricane. Had his name before the hurricane came. But nobody has a child and looks at their baby and says, I'm raising a failure. I'm raising a child so that they can fail and meet an untimely death. I'm raising this child so they can be full of trouble. I'm raising this baby so that they can one day make a bunch of mistakes and ruin their life. Oh, baby, one of these days you're going to get locked up. One of these days, you're going to be in trouble. One of these days, your life's going to be a mess. One of these days, your life's going to be full of depression and anxiety. And, and one of these days, you're going to be all messed up. Nobody raises their child with those kind of aspirations. But you raise your baby hoping that one day they'll do something with their life. You raise your child hoping that one day something good will happen for them. That one day they'll be able to live life blessed and abundant 
But is there anybody in the building uh, that's lived long enough to testify uh, that sometimes uh, life uh, has some unexpected turns uh, and sometimes uh, life has a way uh, of sweeping you out to sea uh, and sometimes uh, there are circumstances uh, that are beyond our control uh, that lead us uh, down roads uh, that we never intended going down. Uh, I just need a few honest people in the building uh, that know what it's like uh, to live life uh, and find yourself uh, at a dead end. Uh, to live life uh, and find yourself uh, at the end of a road uh, where you look uh, and you say, how uh, did I end up here? Uh, how? Is there anybody that's ever said that? Uh, how uh, did I end up like this? Uh, how uh, did I end up in trouble? Uh, how uh, did I end up in this state of mind? I don't know what this little girl's dreams were. I don't know what her ambitions were. I don't know what her heart was filled with when she laid her head on a pillow as a little girl. I don't know what she dreamed about. But as those men marched her in the middle of the city, the Bible says they caught her in the act. There's a good chance that she was naked with no clothes on, embarrassed and ashamed as they drug her through the middle of the city. Now she can't hide from anybody. Now everybody knows what she's been doing. Now everybody's aware of her mistakes and her failures. I don't know what her dreams were, but I can only imagine as they drug her through the city that she began to think to herself, how did I end up like this? How did I get myself in this? This isn't what I planned for. This isn't what I aspired to do. This isn't what my my goals were how did I end up like this and then I can imagine in my mind's eye the voice of the men dragging her through the city they already had it in their mind we're about to stone her uh, do you have any last words is there anything else you want to say you've only got a few minutes left you're at the end of your story you're at the end of your rope this is how it's going to end for you do you have any last requests <laughs> we finally caught you we finally got our hands on you. You finally uh, made the big mistake uh, that we've been waiting for you to make. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's over for you now. Uh, this is all oh, it's over with. Uh, I can just see them uh, as she's going down the street uh, saying, how uh, is this uh, the way that my life, uh, it wasn't supposed uh, to end like this? There was a young man and a young lady, a brother and a sister that were born into a family that had generations of dysfunction. This little boy and little girl knew what it was like to live in a home with a father that was an alcoholic who was very physically abusive. Generations that had come down 
And the relationship got so crazy and chaotic that the family divorced. Mom left her husband. And back in those days, almost all of the time, the kids went to live with mom. And so they were living with their mother. Their father was ruining his life with alcohol and partying. But mom was also an alcoholic. And so mom kept living the party life. Guys coming in and out of the home. Strangers and people. And these kids had grown accustomed to a life that was much less than ideal. Mom had been with one particular man who had become very violent. Their, their, their relationship almost every day was tumultuous and yelling and fighting. And, 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 and the kids had lived this way for so long that they had almost become desensitized to the environment. And so one morning, the little boy was about 13 years old. His sister, I think, was maybe 10 years old. And one morning, as they were getting ready for school, mom and dad began, or mom and the boyfriend, began to fight in the house. And there was yelling and hollering, and they already knew to just keep getting ready for school and to go on about their routine. And so they finished getting ready, and they grabbed their backpacks and they went out the front door and as they made their way down the street all of a sudden they heard the sound an explosion like a loud firecracker that was coming from the direction of their home and so they got panicked understanding what was going on at home and they turned around and they ran back to the house and just as they got to the front of the house they heard another shot ring out this time they knew uh, it was a gunshot uh, and it was coming from the house uh, and they ran into the home uh, and when they opened the door uh, there was the mother's boyfriend uh, laying on the carpet uh, with his brains blown out uh, and a gun in his hand uh, where he had committed suicide the children uh, begin to scream mama where are you mama and they ran desperately through the house uh, only to throw open the door of the bathroom uh, and find their mother slumped uh, in, the sh in the shower uh, with her brains blown out on the walls. Uh, her boyfriend shot and killed her and then turned the gun on himself. Uh, can you imagine uh, a 13 and 10 year old child uh, witnessing this in their home? Uh, this uh, had done something to them. Uh, it began to work and destroy uh, this family. The little boy and the little girl had no options because in those days they didn't have protective child care and all of those kind of things. And their only option was to go back and live with the alcoholic abusive father. And so after experiencing this, they go back to a home full of abuse. And that little boy grows up 13, 14, 15 full of anger and rage and heartache and finally he can't take it anymore and so in his mind the only option he had maybe to try to run from the pain was to join the military this was during the Vietnam era 
And if I'm not mistaken, he was just under the age and had to get parental consent to join the, the, the army. And so he enlists in the army where they take him through basic training and they begin to teach him how to channel all of his anger, how to challenge uh, or how to channel all of his rage into a fighting war machine. They taught him how to take all of his anger and use it in a battlefield. They taught him how to take his rage and anger with a gun and they dropped him in the middle of a jungle uh, in the middle of Vietnam uh, where God only knows uh, the, the bloodbath uh, and the violence uh, and everything that he experienced uh, and then to add to the situation uh, while he was there uh, he became hooked on drugs uh, as so many of our Vietnam veterans uh, were exposed uh, he became hooked on drugs uh, and when they were finished with him uh, they discharged him from the military uh, and so now here's a young man that's been through all of that uh, who's expected to just come out in society uh, and just live a normal life one day this man meets a young lady who is a waitress at a restaurant they get to talking to each other and they exchange information they begin to make contact and one thing leads to another and a relationship begins he did not know that this woman was a backslidden preacher's kid who had ran from God and was living in rebellion doing her own thing they got married and it wasn't very long before they had two children a little boy and a little girl but the lifestyle, the cycle of sin just kept on going. And it was partying, and it was drinking, and it was drugs. And the relationship became abusive. And not only was it abuse with, with her and her husband, but now the father was beating the children. He would get into a, a drunken rage, and he would beat everybody in the house to an absolute Oh, Brother Stewart, uh, he would grab that little boy who was just a little tiny toddler uh, trying to learn how to use his spoon. Uh, and then when he dropped food on the table, uh, his dad would double his fist uh, and punch him right in the face, uh, knocking him backwards off the seat. Uh, there were times that he grabbed the little boy uh, by his clothing uh, and hurled him uh, as hard as he could uh, up against the walls. He beat the mother so bad that her face would be unrecognizable. One time he came home in a drunken rage and when mother went to the store, he beat the little boy so bad that when mama came home, she found the little boy laying in his bed, barely catching his breath. And the little boy's clothes were almost ripped off of his body. Chunks of hair missing from his head. And she knew that my baby boy was almost killed at the hands of this man. 
One day it got so bad, he came home and he beat everybody, beat the wife and the children, beat them mercilessly. She would try to call the cops, but she was afraid. He would threaten, I'll kill you if you call the cops. And so she knew, I don't know what to do anymore. And so finally that night when he went to bed and he passed out, she walked into the kitchen and she opened the drawer uh, where all of the kitchen knives were uh, and she began to look uh, and try to make up in her mind uh, which knife uh, she was going to use. Uh, She had brought herself to the place uh, where she said if I don't do something uh, he's going to kill my babies. Uh, He's going to kill me uh, and I might go to prison for the rest of my life uh, but maybe my children uh, will live to see uh, another day Uh, and so she was there uh, looking which knife would work the best and as she grabbed that knife she began to contemplate how am I going to do it what's the most effective way I've got to do it fast or he'll kill me and while she was there in the kitchen contemplating what to do an old presence and an old voice from her childhood it was nothing but the voice of God that began to talk to her and tell her uh, you can't do this Uh, there has to be uh, another way Uh, you can't do it like this Uh, there's got to be uh, another way Uh, and so reluctantly uh, at some point uh, she laid the knife down uh, and she devised a plan Uh, and so the next morning uh, when he left to work uh, she grabbed one old suitcase uh, and she loaded it with everything she could uh, her belongings and the the baby's belongings everything she could fit into a suitcase and she called a battered women's shelter and told them I'm in trouble I'm in fear for my life but if my husband finds out that I'm trying to leave he'll kill me and so they made a plan for her to leave the house they made a plan to come and get her and the children at the time she lived in Mississippi but she grew up in another state And so they picked her up uh, and they got her and her two babies uh, and sent them all the way back uh, to her hometown. uh, And she escaped uh, the moment uh, where her life was in danger, uh, but she had not escaped uh, the clutches of sin. And so she showed up in a new place with the same old bondage, drinking and partying. And the kids grew up going to the bars every night. The bartenders and the kids were on first name basis. When the kids walked in with mom and dad, the patrons of the bar would start buying the kids sodas to drink. Night after night, those kids would take rides in the back of cars while mama swerved on the road trying to get home. Parties at the house, big octopus bongs, people getting high, people getting drunk out of their minds. Finally, she meets another man at a bar. He's famously known in the little town as being one of the town drunks. And a relationship starts. 
And eventually they move in together. And the cycle continues. The violence, the drunken fights, the breaking windows and glass, and the rage. And now it wasn't just physical abuse, but now there was emotional abuse that began to happen. The man who, who hated himself, who, who was a mess, would verbally assault that little boy and that little girl. And it turned. And so now it's generations and it's generations. And this little boy is growing up being beaten as a little kid and a toddler. And now he's being emotionally abused. And he's getting older, seven, eight, nine years old. Finally, before he was ever a teenager, he took his first ride in a cop car. Angry. No father figure. What's happening? And his life started to spin out of control. As that young boy hit adolescence, he started getting suspended every time he turned around. They were kicking him out of the school for fighting until finally the school district said, we don't want you back in our schools. You're too much trouble. And the only thing he could find, a place of love and acceptance from a male figure, was the streets. And so he started running uh, with gangbangers. Uh, and he started running with the wrong crowd. Uh, and he started experimenting uh, with everything involved uh, in that lifestyle. Uh, and uh, you say, Bishop, uh, you know a lot about the story. Uh, I sure do. Uh, because I was that little boy uh, who was running the streets uh, looking for love. Uh, I was the little boy uh, who grew up uh, in generations uh, of dysfunction and I remember the enemy telling me this is how it ends your life's gonna end just like your father's life your life's gonna end just like your grandfather's life you're gonna end up the same way that they were but can I tell you I remember as a 14 year old boy coming to an altar at a church and when I knelt down at that altar I'll tell you what I felt for the very first time I felt the arms of a loving father reach down and embrace me for the very first time I felt the love of a father and I knew right then this is what I've been looking for my entire life I came to preach to somebody in the building. It's not over. Your life is just about to begin. The devil wants to tell you it's over with. But God is telling you, I've got a new life for you. I've got a brand new beginning for you. I've got a brand new story. The storybook led me to a point of early ending, but God rescued me. That's the only way I can describe it. God rescued me 
when I couldn't help myself, uh, when nobody else could help me, uh, when nobody else could reach me, uh, when nobody else had the answers, uh, <coughs> when nobody else could encourage me, uh, when nobody else could do it, uh, God reached down to where I was uh, and he rescued me. I'd begin to rewrite my life. Devil said, the statistics say that you'll be a nobody. The statistics say uh, that you're going to repeat all of the same things that your daddy did. But Brother Keith, uh, Calvary's tree uh, is greater uh, than my family tree. Uh, I said Calvary's tree uh, is greater uh, than my family tree. Uh, and the blood of Jesus uh, changed the trajectory uh, of my future. Uh, and the power of the blood of Jesus uh, changed uh, the trajectory of my destiny and when the enemy said it's over God said I'm not through with you yet when the enemy said it's over God said I've got plans for you I know what it's like to wrestle as a young man with feelings of inadequacy feeling like I'm at a disadvantage because I didn't have this or I didn't have that or I was missing this but I came to preach to somebody that God can make up the difference for everything that you lack in your life God can break chains You see, my mom left in fear of our lives when I was four years old. I can remember when God gave me my first son. I can't tell you the feelings I had as I held him in my arms. But at the same time, the fear I don't know how to be a father, Brother Leal. How am I going to raise this boy? I don't know how to be a dad. I remember the challenges that I faced. Feeling like I wasn't good enough. I didn't have what it took. But can I tell you that God was with me the whole time? <laughs> I remember... I remember when Isaac turned five years old and they had the birthday candles and everybody was in the house excited. And when they turned off the lights, Brother Moore, and they started singing happy birthday, I couldn't even sing. I had to turn around and walk off into the corner, tears pouring down my face. It was just a fifth birthday party to everybody else. But for me... My dad left when I was four and my son is now turning five and I'm still here. <laughs> they didn't understand. 
the importance of that moment. Uh, he's five years old and I'm still his daddy uh, and I'm still here uh, and the enemy is a liar uh, and then he turned 10 uh, and then he turned 13 uh, and then he turned 19 uh, and I had the privilege uh, of marrying him uh, this past. Don't you tell me uh, that it's the end uh, of your story. Uh, God is just uh, getting started. And I came to preach this morning uh, because it's not just my son, uh, but now there's another generation. Uh, and in just a few months, uh, my first grandbaby uh, is about to be born. Uh, and when they come into this world, uh, they're coming uh, under a new uh, under a new auspices uh, of God's anointing uh, and God's power uh, and God's favor. I came to preach to some people in the building that the devil's been telling you you messed up so bad that life is not worth living. You messed up so bad you might as well just throw in the towel. You might as well just give up on your dreams. You might as well just give up on everything. I came to preach to you that the devil is a liar. God took a 14-year-old boy out of the hood and anointed him. And I started preaching the gospel at the age of 15 years old. I'm young. I'm only 45. But I've been preaching now for over 30 years, Brother Leo. 30 years of ministry. God's hand has taken me around the world. God gave me a beautiful wife. And guess what? We just celebrated 27 years of marriage nobody you don't understand nobody in my father's lineage ever made it that long but I'm here as a testimony that it's not the end it's just the beginning I stand before you this morning and you see this nice suit and shoes and all of the amazing things that God is doing. But if the devil could have, he would have got me to believe the lie that it's over and would have aborted the dream of what God has brought to pass. As we stand all over this house this morning, they brought that young lady to the feet of Jesus and they said Jesus we caught her in the very act you see I'm preaching to some people in the building that have enough humility to admit I did it I'm guilty I'm guilty as charged I made the mistakes I had the failures I've got some messed up situations that are going on in my life it's true what they say it's true what they're telling I've got some major problems we caught her in the very act and the law says that we should stone her but Jesus we want to know what you have to say 
That's the wrong question to ask a God that loves us like he does. He reaches his hand down. You know the story. He puts it into the dirt as if he is writing. He does it twice. And people focus on what was it that he wrote. I don't believe that's the revelation of the moment. The Bible says that he formed man from the dust of the earth. That word formed is the word yetzar, which literally means to take your hands like a potter and mold something. And I believe that when they brought that frail woman in front of him, he put his hands back in the dirt and said, I know what she's made out of. And I'm not afraid of the dirt. I'm not afraid to put my hands into dirty places. I'm not afraid to lay my hands on dirty. I'm not afraid to lay my hands where there's been trouble. As a matter of fact, when they pressed him, he stood up and said, You who are without sin, let you be the first one to cast a stone. You want to know what he was saying? You're made out of the same stuff that she's made out of. See, you're looking at people in the building uh, with a suit on uh, and a dress, uh, but don't let it fool you this morning. Uh, This is a room uh, full of people uh, that know what it's like uh, to make mistakes uh, and to have trouble uh, and to have problems. uh, But God stooped down uh, and put his hand on us. And on this New Year day, of 2023 I came to preach to somebody the same thing that Jesus told her he said woman where are your accusers she said I don't have any they all left he said neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more You know what he was telling her? If you'll just turn around and repent, this isn't the ending. It's just the beginning. Come on, all over this building. Hands lifted in this place. I'm preaching to somebody in the building today. This isn't the end. It's just the beginning. Somebody needs to get out from where you're sitting this morning and bring your trouble to this altar. Somebody needs to get out from where you're sitting this morning and bring your pain to this altar. Come on, you need to get out from where you're sitting this morning and bring your depression to God and bring your anxiety and bring your mistakes and bring your struggles and bring your failures and your faults. Come on, Jesus is in the building right now and he wants to lay his hand on you. God wants to touch your life. God wants to give you a new beginning. God wants to take you back to the beginning of the book and give you a brand new story. Come on, hands lifted all over the building. Church, the altars are full. I need every Holy Ghost filled saint of God helping me pray this morning. Come on. Come on, help me find somebody to pray with. Come on. Come on, help me pray with somebody. 
this new year day. God wants somebody to know there's a new beginning for you. There's a new start for you. There's a fresh beginning. Come on, lift your hands.
lips. Lift your hands up.
things are here. New direction is here. Let's go.